Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for those that are here and you for your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we look at your word and see what it is you would have us to see from all of this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1. We made it through the genealogy last week. And we're going to be starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ is was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, you son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord has spoken of the, of the, was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We're going to stop there because this is... The Christmas story, the part of the Christmas story that we all know so well. And we look at this and it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the very first point that he's making, that Mary was a virgin. Before they came together. We look at this and this is a very clear statement that the word on this is conjugal or cohabitation. It was very clear in the, in the Greek that it meant that they had not slept together. They had not had sex. It, and it's kind of flowery language here. They have not come together. Remember, this is Matthew's pre-letter and, and gospel is toward the Jews. All right? He, he's writing toward the Jews. He quotes a lot of Old Testament scriptures through all of this. But in this, this very first sentence of the birth of Jesus, he's making it clear that Mary is the virgin. It says that she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. And then we see here, Joseph was definitely in love with Mary. This was not just a prearranged marriage that he had no feelings for. Because it says, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not willing to make her a public example and was minded to put her away privately. Now remember, the punishment for adultery, or even fornication, is death. This was a serious thing when Mary was talked to by the angel and said, you're going to have a child. And her question in, in, in Luke was, how can this be? I have, not had, I have not known any man. I have not had sex with any man. How can I be pregnant? And you could almost hear the fear in her voice because she knows the penalty for being pregnant without a husband is death. And Joseph knows that that is the penalty. Even though it says that he is her husband, in one sense he is, in another sense he is, because the way the Jewish traditions were, you got engaged, but their engagement was much more than an engagement, especially at that time. You were engaged, but you couldn't come together. You couldn't live in the same house. You couldn't sleep in the same bed. You couldn't have sex, but you were married in the eyes of the law. 
the woman lived at her father's home, and the husband-to-be went out, built the room, built his job, proved that he could support his wife, and got ready for his wife to join him in, in their new home. It could take as much as a year, and it usually took most of that year for most of these guys, unless they had a, a great job before that, but that was not usually the case. And then at some point they would come and, and they would arrange with the father and say, I'm coming to get my wife at such and such time, but the wife wasn't told. And basically he kidnapped her from her father's home and carried her back to their new home and they had a party for one week. Then they would consummate their marriage and then they would be man and wife in, in their rights. Here we're saying he's her husband, but they haven't come together. As far as he's concerned, when he finds out that Mary's pregnant, as any man would, you've committed adultery. And he's feeling all the pain on, of, of that thought coming into his brain. This is a serious step for Joseph. Joseph could have had her taken out and stoned for being an adulterer. And we've seen various places in the scriptures where that happened and, or, or was challenged to happen. So just want, I'd like to bring this out because we always have this kind of uh, fairy tale, good story, you know, she got this and every, everything was all happy for her for the rest of her life. But no, it wasn't. It was not possible for him to show the same thing. If he was bringing charges that she committed adultery, no. There should have been a man, you know, they would have worked to find out who the man was. This is the problem when he accepted bringing Mary into his life in spite of her pregnancy. He, in many people's eyes, was tacitly saying, this is my child. Otherwise, I'd have gotten rid of her because it's not my child. So in the eyes of their neighborhood, this couple uh, was tainted. They jumped the gun. They had relationship before they were supposed to. Joseph saying, no, it's not my child. So Mary's kind of doubly in trouble because, okay, it's not Joseph's. So which man in our town did she sleep with? And she would have been one of those people who could not come out with the other women when they did things. She would not have been able to go out in the morning to draw water because she would have been ostracized. You know, this is not a good woman. She will steal your man. So we're not going to make friends with her. This is a big deal. This was not something that was taken lightly. Mary's life was changed when she became pregnant before she had been officially married. Joseph's life would have been affected because most people would have looked at him and said, you're saying it's not your child, but uh, why didn't you divorce her when she, when she committed adultery? So uh, Joseph, you're probably lying. So they were more in a sense to accept Joseph, but at the same time they're going... Joseph, your story doesn't gel with what you've done. So this is a big deal. When we look at this story, we kind of go, oh, yeah, this, this was their life. And we look at it from our day and age, and it's like, well, what's the big deal? So she got pregnant, you know, you know what's the big deal? But in their day, it was a huge deal. And remember, they live in a small town out there. Because they're in a small town, these rumors are going to be spreading amongst everybody. And this, because he just wanted to put her away. He, and this shows that he loved her in, in some level. He was going to, and it says, put her away. He was going to divorce her and not make a big deal out of it. And if he had done that, then they probably would have sent Mary, most likely to Elizabeth's or somebody else's home that was family, but not in town. 
let her have the child and then eventually come back and you know there would be this kind of pretending that the father you know you know left or whatever or she would have stayed with the other family until she found somebody to to take her in but that was that was Joseph's plan Joseph's plan was okay Mary I'm going to divorce you I'm going to you know we'll just send you away and you won't you won't die you can go to the town tell them whatever you want to tell them but we're not going to I'm not going to make a big deal out of this and that would have been a very big deal for Mary in Jesus's life because he was already in his lifetime considered a bastard child okay because Joseph said he's not mine and this is why as we read on in the in the Gospels there's there's one particular phrase I remember when there's going you know we are sons of Abraham and and but we don't know who your father is okay they were being very nice they weren't but they were going you know we know who our fathers are but we really don't know who yours is okay so he was always in their eyes had an accusation against him this is a major deal and like I say we tell this Christmas story and we make we kind of make light over this you know isn't it wonderful Joseph you know Joseph didn't put her away and yes it is wonderful but we don't really understand the depth of how wonderful it was if it wasn't for the angel telling him he wouldn't have believed it and you know what none of us would none of us would have believed it Joseph was a righteous man and of course he's talking to an angel so it's that that helps but just the fact that he was going to put her away quietly tells us a lot about him and the kind of man that he is and the same thing for Mary can you imagine being Mary's parents if we were Mary's parents uh, mom and dad the angel told me I'm gonna have the child and uh, it's it's God's child yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be the mother of the Messiah okay on the one side you're gonna go okay that sounds really good but uh, why were you and Joseph fooling around before you were supposed to or or who else were you know, or who were you fooling around with because they weren't going to believe that he was that she was a virgin and being pregnant either and we all know that instinctively as parents if our daughter came to us and said yeah I'm pregnant and I haven't had sex with anybody we're gonna go we understand science we understand biology that is, does not happen so when she's coming in and saying I'm a virgin and I'm having having God's child doesn't jive well with the people well, it's not only that it's just we know we know how things happen and we wouldn't believe it any more in this day and age than they did in that day and age what would that phrase have meant in, in that time put her away put her away divorced her and they would have sent her away even in this country even as close as the 50s or something if a girl got pregnant out of wedlock she got sent away to family somewhere else that way she could you could have this child you probably would live there if everybody believed it Everybody, everybody knew why she was sent there. It wasn't a, they put him up for adoption and then you, then you come back home and you were just away for a while and everybody kind of counted up uh, seven months. Okay, we know, what, we know what happened, but nobody really talked about it because there was, that was the common thing when our country didn't believe in premarital sex. And nowadays it's like no big deal. Uh, they, put, they put them out of school because they didn't want to, make them think that the school was going to say that it was okay to be sexually active and be pregnant so they would kick them out of school this is the type of thing they're talking about it's not an uncommon thing but that's what they're talking about they were gonna basically and the only relative we know that she had was Elizabeth so it would have been quite possible for her to ship, be shipped off to Elizabeth which is where she goes anyway okay she's going to follow that this logic of going someplace else as she gets bigger and bigger <laughs> 
and, and more obvious. Runs off to Elizabeth's house to not have that same mentality. So they, in their, they're still kind of putting her away, but he's not divorcing her in the process. And he didn't want to bring this out in the open. He didn't want, because if he brought it out in a, in a very public setting, because he was going to accuse her of adultery, because he knew it wasn't his child, and it would have been a public thing, and very likely could have led to her death, except for one part of the death sentence meant that both of them had to die, or the one that committed adultery, both sides had to be there. And this is why when the woman committed, who was caught in the very act of adultery was presented before Jesus, and they said, Moses says she should die, what do you say? The very, you know, they were only quoting half of what the commandment was. She could not be killed alone, and they said they caught her in the very act. So the very first question that needed to be asked is, where's the man? Okay, you caught her in the act, where is the man? How did he get away from you, and why isn't he here? And if they had brought the man, here we have Joseph rightfully, by the law, saying, I want to put her away, but we see that he loves her enough to not want her killed not have her shamed publicly by a divorce and now pregnant and, and possibly face a death sentence when they did the investigation. So we have a big deal on this here, and the angel steps in. And I love, I love this. It says, Joseph, you son of David, and remember last week we talked about the genealogy and how Joseph is literally part of the ruling line. And we looked at the different different kings. He is a descendant of the ruling kings. Well, not just the house of David, because remember we looked at the, that he was Solomon, Rehoboam, Asa, Jehoshaphat. If you know the kings of Ju Judah, those are the ruling kings of Judah. He's not just a in the royal house. He is in the royal, the ruling line of the royal house. He's being addressed, you son of David, fear not to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is his statement that Mary is not lying to him. Angel appearing, saying Mary is telling the truth. She has not known a man. Look at that, and this is going to be enough to make Joseph accept what's going on. Huge deal, though, because it is going to be changing his life as well. Because, again, just as I said, and every man would understand this, it's, he's tacitly saying to the world, as far as they're concerned, this was my child. This is why I didn't get rid of her. Now, he can go in. The angel said, you know, the angel came to me and said, this is God's child. And who's going to believe it? They're just not going to believe that statement they're going to go, okay, Joseph, you're, you're, really going, you're really going to the extreme to try to jump, they've jumped the gun by the law. So this is a huge deal. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or it literally in Hebrew means uh, Jehovah is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation. It's Jesus' name in Hebrew, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation. That's a good name for him because that's his, that's his purpose. For he shall save his people from their sins. This is very important. Joseph knew from what the angel says why Jesus is come. He knows he's the son of God. 
He knows that his wife is a virgin, and he knows that the purpose is that he's going to be the savior of the nation. Now, he's going to think in Jewish terms that that means he's the Messiah, and that when he grows up, he's going to be getting Rome out of there, and he's going to bring Israel to its proper position as the world power. Okay, that is the vision that Jews, even to this day, those who are religious, and even some of the secular, but especially the religious Jews are waiting for God to make them who he said they were going to be, the center of all government and all the world. And that won't happen until the millennial kingdom when Jesus rules for a thousand years. And then in the new heaven and earth, the Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem comes down and they are forever the center of the, the uh, earth. So this is, what, this is what Joseph is hearing. I, Mary is going to give birth to the one that's going to rule and bring Israel into its proper place. And so this is a big deal. He, he accepts this, he understands it, and he sees it. And it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled what the Lord, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah 7.14, the prophecy of the virgin shall give birth. And many of the liberal scholars will tell you that the virgin can mean a young, newly married woman. And yes, that is a true statement. <laughs> but we're being very clear here that God is saying this was a virgin. This was a virgin that gave birth, somebody who had never known a man. And... God did it supernaturally. It wasn't like the legends of Zeus coming down and, and having sex with a woman and creating a, creating a demigod or a half-god. This was God doing it supernaturally, impregnating her supernaturally. It's not like, because people go, well, this just sounds like all the, the Greek and, and Roman mythology and going all the way back to Nimrod's mythology. No, this is not God coming down and physically having sex with Mary. It was a supernatural event. And this is why Mary said, I, how can this be? I have not known any man. This is all to be part of this prophecy made back in, by Isaiah that says this is what's going to happen. He will give him the name Emmanuel. And then just in case you don't know what it means, Joseph, uh, Matthew says it means God with us. You're going to see this pattern a lot with the, in the book of Matthew. When he uses a Hebrew reference, because he was aware that just Hebrews were not going to be the only ones reading this, he would oftentimes define a couple of the terms, just so that people, if they weren't Hebrew, would understand what was being said. Again, we want to bring out, his book is geared toward Hebrew people. He is going to quote scripture a lot. He's going to quote the Messianic passages a lot saying this is the Messiah his point is to prove to people that Messiah has come because their whole question was he has not come and for the Jews perspective when Jesus died on the cross for our sins they they have relegated him to a failed Messiah the Jews even to this day recognize that he claimed to be Messiah but as far as they're concerned he was a failed Messiah because 
in their view, the Messiah was not to die. He was to build the kingdom into its top and, and its proper place. They'll believe he was a prophet. They will believe that he was a strong leader. They will recognize that he came in. He started a big movement. But as far as they're concerned, the Messiah was to, build, was to come, build the kingdom of Israel forever on this, on this planet, and he failed to do that. We see that the Bible very clearly says that he was going to die, he was going to resurrect, and the Bible, has a, we have a hard time, because if all we had was the Old Testament, it would be very hard to see this long gap between his death and his second coming. We see it now that we're in it, and this is my fear for a lot of Christians. When I hear a lot of some of the eschatology that goes on or end times talk that goes on, I go, I want to be very careful that there's not some kind of probably not 2,000 year gap between some of what they talk about. But can there be some gaps and some things that we don't understand? Absolutely. Anytime we think we know everything there is to know about God's plans, we're fooling ourselves. The Jews had a very strong in time belief and still do messiah is going to show up he's going to have he's going to be born born of a virgin or at least a young woman who was was only had one person and be the first child he's going to be born in bethlehem he's he's going to be he's going to have some near-death experience and he's going to rally the israelites together and he's going to establish the kingdom of israel forever that is still the way they think and it was exactly what they thought in Jesus' day. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. They're still waiting for somebody to be born that fits all the criteria that Jesus fulfilled. And he has to be a son of David. And that's going to be the hard part for them to prove in this day and age, that they're a son of David. Right. They're very, they're very big on DNA. The Jews are the, the Hebrew, the Jews, the Israelites are very progressive on DNA because they need to prove a couple of things. They need Levites. They need to know who Aaron's children are. They need to know that they're a son of, that when the, when, when the Messiah comes, they have to be able to prove that he is of the line of David. So they're pushing very hard to get DNA and identify all the different tribes of Israel and all the different groups and so they can prove what family they're from which is why DNA has been pushed as far as it has to where we use it. Huh? No, there's no missing tribes. That's, that's something, that is something that the Mormons teach. Jesus said in the scriptures that I have other sheep that are not of, of, the, of Israel, which he was referring to the church, the Gentile church coming. But there is no missing tribe. That is a mythology out there that there's a missing tribe because uh, it's been used many times by a lot of cults. We're, we're, the, we're part of the missing tribes. It's also referred to as the lost tribe. The lost tribe of Israel. Uh, the, you hear a lot of different things, and this is, remember always that Satan is trying to set up a lot of confusion and a lot of problems out there, and this is why there's so many different religions out there that teach basically the same thing, and the one thing about religion is that it's a set of rules to try to approach God. Christianity is not really a religion because it is a relationship with the God of the universe. He does all the work. He's the one that makes us acceptable. He's the one that changes us. And it's not us following a bunch of rules. 
religions, if you look at every religion, it's all about doing something to please God. All the way from very set, here's your rule, here, here are your rules, to the very general do more good than bad, and it doesn't really tell you who's defining good and who's defining bad. Doesn't define whether they're equal to each other, to all the way down to, well, it really doesn't matter because you're going to have multiple lives to keep, keep doing it until you finally get it right, and everybody eventually will get it right given enough time. Okay, and that's, what, that's really what reincarnation's all about, is you're just going to keep doing it until you get it right. What a sad way to live, especially when you know that everybody's bad. Uh, so we see all of this stuff going on, and the, the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah. Because in their mind, he didn't, do the, he didn't finish the job. And this idea of him returning is like, well, this isn't, we don't see this. Well, we, we do see it. We just, they're blind to what it is because they're stuck in what they believe. And this is something I share with us. We need to be very careful that when we read the scriptures, we read it for what it says and not what we think it says or not what we've been taught that it says. And this can be very hard for us at times. We don't want to be so open and so loose that we make it say whatever, but the scriptures are very clear that they say what they say. And I've been in different denominations that, you know, it's kind of amazing to me that different denominations will read the same verse and come out with sometimes diametrically opposed opinions of what the verse means. And usually it's because they're reading in whatever their doctrine is into a verse to force the verse to say what they want it to say to match their doctrine. And when I talk to people that are hyper-Calvinist, people who believe that you're born either going to heaven or going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? And I'll talk to them and, and I'll go, okay, I believe, you know, I see your verses, I understand them, and believe me, if you listen to them and, and they lay out their case with all their verses, there's a lot of verses that will lead you to their same conclusion. And then I ask them one very simple question. I go, what do you do with all these whosoever will verses like John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that whosoever believes could come to him. And, they go, and their answer almost always is, whosoever means whosoever will and is called. And I go, no, you can't add your doctrine into the verse to change the verse. Okay, and I've learned that over the years because there's other, there's other things that I've learned through time where people will take the doctrine of their church and apply it to a verse to justify their doctrine and, does, and make their verse fit their doctrine. We've got to be careful of that. Very careful that we don't try to say, this is what I know is true, so I have to twist this verse so it doesn't... <laughs> we have to go just like... McGee said all the time, where, where we in the Bible disagree, the Bible is right. We may not understand why it's right, but we need to be able to go, the Bible is right, and be able to look at it and understand it through what it says, not what we want to make it say. We see this, and this is how cults always work. They interpret the Bible the way they want it to be read within the form of their verses. The Jehovah's Witnesses do that in Revelation when it talks about the 144,000 Jews. And in the Revelation, it is very clear that they are Jews because it goes 12,000 from Dan, 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Manasseh, and goes right down the list, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And then they go, but that's not Jews, they're, they're spiritual Israel. 
uh, why, go through the, why go through this whole lineup of 12,000 from each tribe if you're just going to spiritualize it? Just say 144,000 uh, spiritual Jews. <laughs> but that goes you, it shows you how you can take things to an extreme to force it to mean what you want it to mean. And we want to be very careful that we don't do the same thing. Many Baptists will do this when it comes to the works of the Holy Spirit. They will teach the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's alive and working and does all these things. But a lot of Baptists will read in things where, where the Holy Spirit does work and go, oh, that was back in their day. The Holy Spirit's not working anymore. I don't believe that, by the way. I believe the Holy Spirit's working today. I think the bigger problem that we face is that when we read from the time that Jesus was ascended to through the, specifically the book of Acts, because that's where everybody sees things, is we read the book of Acts, and it looks like, man, look how busy the Holy Spirit was, and he was always doing this, that, and the other thing, and, and we forget the time frame of the book. The, the time frame of Acts is approximately 50 years. But we read through the book of Acts and say, wow, these guys... They were always having all these exciting things going on. Their lives were just like ours. God does something miraculous. We go four or five years between the next really big, you know, not just minor things, but the next big miraculous thing. And then we go another four or five years down the road and he does another big miraculous thing. And how do we understand that? We go into Paul's writings and he goes, and I was here for this long and I was here for this long. And we tend to forget this. We do the same thing with Abraham's life. It's like, look how exciting Abraham's life was. All right? The four chapter, four or five chapters that Abraham's being talked in is 50 years of life. All right? There were a lot of times when he's just wandering around the desert living. And then God steps in and does something miraculous and talks to him. And then there's a long period of time where he's just day-to-day -day monotonously living and then all of a sudden, something big happens in his life and it gets recorded. We need to keep that time frame. We need to look at what God's doing because he's, I think he's doing more in our lives than we give him credit for in most times. Because there's lots of little miracles. And the problem is, we so often write off the, the, the little miracles. The fact that we wake up in the morning and is a miracle. We get to the end of the day and nothing big has happened to us. Do you realize how much of a miracle that is? When you really think about it, just that I made it through to the end of the day and nothing really bad happened to me is a pretty good-sized miracle in and of itself. If you really think about all the dangers that are out there. And, you know, I don't, and, I, and I don't like our, the government trying to protect us from all the dangers and everything that it does, but... Their idea is that there's a lot of dangers out there. And you think about this. How many of us are surprised that we're even alive today if, with all the, government, all the government's trying to protect our current generation from? And it's amazing that we lived by their, by their definition. But God has many miracles out there that we don't recognize. And all we're looking for is those big ones. Okay, God, when, you're, when are you going to heal? Well, Let's pray and have a healing. It's not a big deal. Let's, ha let's pray and have that healing. I've seen great healings. I've prayed for my kids when they needed healing and had many of the times when they've gotten healed. 
had to take them to the hospital once in a while, but many times I could also just pray and they would be healed. The Holy Spirit's still moving. He's still around. He's still active. There's still miracles going on around us all the time. And this is why I encourage people, share what God does for you. Share the miracles that, that happen in your life because others need to hear it to get build faith. Get into our word and read, read the books. Read biographies. <laughs> read the Christian biographies and see the miracles that God did. But again, when you're reading those books, remember it's just like Abraham and, and Acts. They're just giving you the high points of their life. There's long periods of time between these miracles when it was just day-to-day life. Yeah, we do a lot of things just doing it on our own. It has to be done. I'm going to do it. Blackaby in the book Experiencing God had a statement of look around, find what God's doing, and join him. And our habit, unfortunately, most of the time is, God, here's what I'm doing. Come along with me. And God's usually staying over there like, uh, I'm over here. I've got a big thing for you to do over here, and we're going this way. God, uh, come on over here, God. I'm, I'm busy, busy living life, doing my thing. And God's over here saying, I had a great experience for you if you'd have just joined me. And this is something we have to be careful of. And you're right. We need to spend time. We need to start our day saying, God, I need your guidance today. Help me do what you want me to do. And when you actually live that way, you will be surprised at the little things that happen in your life, the people that you'll be meeting, the people you get to talk to, the, how many people will you get to pray for. Negative thoughts will, will steal away our joy, will steal away our activities. And will make us stand still. And be bitter. And, be bit- and can lead to bitterness, too. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife. This is obedience. And we talked a little bit about this already. We see that he was a very obedient man because he was aware that this was going to be a change in his life. He knew that this would be, affect his life. How many times do we know what God wants us to do and we shy away from it because it might affect us negatively? God, they might make fun of me. They might ostracize me because I'm standing for you. This is one of the reasons when I read and hear about these people that are not taking photographs at a, at a gay marriage or doing their services, or the one lady who wouldn't issue licenses in, uh, in Kentucky because she said it's against my religious beliefs. I'm thankful that they take a stand, but you see the result of those stands is that they get soundly criticized by this world. But how many times are we silent when we should speak because we're afraid of what people might say? If you're going to make that statement, you also have to realize that the government is in place by God and can punish you for breaking their laws even though You're following God's laws, and the disciples are a great example. The disciples are a great example of when they disobeyed the law, they would get beat, and they didn't gripe and complain that they were following God's laws. They just said, we have to obey God, and they took the punishment from the the government for their disobedience, and we need to be ready to do the same thing if and when we get to the place where we're going to say, i got to obey God. We still then have to say, okay, you've got the right to punish me. You're wrong. You know, God will deal with them for being wrong. But you take the punishment for being disobedient of those laws. Because the government is ordained by God, right or wrong. And again, I keep bringing this up. 
when they were when the disciples and Paul were telling us to obey the government they were talking about a Roman government that was killing them for being Christians and they still said obey the government except where it disobeys contradicts God and then they would be then you take your punishment that they've issued out Joseph is being very obedient he obeys God in spite of how it's going to affect his life we need to be ready to do that there's going to be times when we just need to be obedient to God and take the punishment that comes along with it and it may ostracize us it may look us may, may look us look bad and I've shared with everybody in this church much of what I say about homosexuality and adultery and fornication and everything is very politically incorrect. And there will come a time when I will be arrested for what I have said. It's not a question of if. There will be a time in the near future, and I'm on record, it's on the internet, I'm not going to deny it even if they asked me, but there will be a time when I will be arrested for having spoken God's truth and punished for it. I cannot deny what God says. In spite of what the world's going, but I've already told everybody in this church, if and when that happens and this church is still allowed to exist, get another pastor who believes in the word of God who will be arrested in a short period of time after that. And just keep putting pastors in here that are going to speak the word of God because otherwise the church is not worth going to. It's getting harder to find pastors that will speak the word. Really important for each of us, and I've said this over and over, we need to make up our mind now to be obedient to God's word because when you're in the middle of the problem is not to the time to decide that you're going to stand for God. It won't happen. If you haven't made your decision to stand for God before the trial, you will fail during the trial. Even having made your decision, you may still fail during the trial, but at least you have something to say, this is exactly what I was preparing for. But, and I've said this every time, when you're, in, when you're faced with a sin, the time to decide if I'm going to commit that sin or not commit that sin is not when you're facing the sin. I used to tell younger people, the time to decide how far you're going to go with the opposite sex is not when you're in the back seat of the car parked up on, the, on, on Lover's Lane. That's not the time to be deciding how far you're going. How obedient am I going to be to God? That is not the time to be deciding it. it. The time to decide it was long before you went on the date in the first place and say, this is all we're going to do. And very important, we make our decision. How obedient to God am I going to be? How, how much am I going to stand up for God? And I've already determined, I, I, like I've said, in my teen years, I always, have always believed that I was going to be arrested for being a Christian. Always, I've always understood that that was gonna happen. And when I was a teenager back in the 70s, when I was a teenager, it made no sense to be arrested for, a <laughs> for being a Christian. But you know, I see now how easy it would be to be arrested for being a Christian in our, in our country in this day and age. If you're going to be outspoken and you're gonna say that transgenders are, are, are committing a sin against God because of their their actions, that homosexuality is wrong, that fornication is wrong, that adultery is wrong, that God has a standard and we need to follow his standard is not popular in this world. And right now, it's just not popular. But it's not going to be long before it'll be something, it'll be considered hate speech. And we will be arrested for speaking such words. Well, you just don't like these people, so you're speaking against them and you're inciting riots with, the, with your words. No, I still want them loved. And I've said, I want 
I want anybody with sinned in our church. They're going to hear the truth, but they're going to, I'm not going to kick them out of the church just because they're sinners. I want them in the church where they can hear God's word. They can hear how much God loves them and wants to be able to take away their sin. But I'm still going to call it sin. And so we see Joseph took Mary and his wife. And then I love this line and this. And he knew her not. He didn't have sex with her till she had brought forth her firstborn and he named him Jesus. Very clear here. He did not. This is showing his honor, though. He took Mary as his wife and did not sleep with her. Even now, at this point, he has the right to until after Jesus was born. After Jesus was born, that they consummated their, their union, because it says there, it says so right here, number one, but he waited. He, he didn't want any implication that he was involved in this activity at all before the birth. This, this statement very clearly tells you they had sex after, after Jesus was born, which means that James and those were not his... Now, her stepchildren, they were her and Joseph's children. They would have been half-brothers to Jesus because of a different father. But unfortunately, many Christians don't believe what the Bible teaches on things either. So we need to love them and show them the gospel and be able to answer their questions. Be ready to give a defense for what we believe. And to me, this is so important that we need to be ready to defend and explain what we, and I like explain more than defend, because we're not, God doesn't need defense, but he does, he, we do get to explain. This is what God has taught. This is what he teaches in his word, because it is so important. You know, I think about even the story of Noah's Ark. You know, the sad thing in Noah's Ark is we, in our Sunday schools, we kind of show these pictures of a little tiny thing that wouldn't even float, much less take a storm with animals hanging out windows and I don't know where they get the windows from because there's only one window in the ark and you got all these animals hanging out of the ark and then we get the people in the in their school system and, and higher up going you know those pictures you saw when you were a kid you know that they, there's no way and you're right there's no way that that boat could have ever survived a storm but if you picture the boat the the ark and the size and the dimensions that it's supposed to be in it's like, wow, that boat can handle the storm. And yet we do a disservice to our kids. We, in, America, in, in uh, European and America, we show a white Jesus in every picture that's ever seen. Now, I don't believe that, we, that he was a dark black, but he was a Middle Eastern man, which probably means that he had a more of a, an olive-colored skin that that light, lighter shade of dark skin. We need to be careful of how do we picture things based upon the way we've been raised. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at just the miraculous way that you brought Joseph and his soft and tender heart toward obeying you. And we just ask that you help us to, to have that same heart that we're going to obey you even when it's hard even when it changes our life in dramatic ways. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.